Welcome to the best kept secret video cast and podcast from Centricity. If you're a B2B service professional, use our five-step process to go from the grind of chasing every sale to keeping your pipeline full with prospects knocking on your door to buy from you. We give you the freedom of time and a life outside of your business. Each episode features an executive from a B2B services company sharing their provocative perspective on an opportunity that many of their clients are missing out on. It's how we teach our clients to get executive decision makers to buy without being salesy or spammy. Here's our host, the co-founder and CEO of Centricity, Jay Kingley. Welcome to another episode of our Best Kept Secret show, where I am happy to welcome Hugh Gallagher, head of the Gallagher Search Group. The Gallagher Group helps clients attract and retain the talent they need to grow their businesses. He is based in Allentown, Pennsylvania, Welcome to the show, Hugh. Thanks, Jay. Great to be here. Fantastic. Now, Hugh, I have been in the corporate world for many, many years. I have uh, been heads of, of companies. I've been heads of business units all in the line, so to speak. And I have always had uh, mostly a good relationship, sometimes a little tenuous relationship with the HR department, which are, of course, uh, supposed to be a big support system uh, to people that are running P&Ls and lines of businesses along with other corporate functions. And, you know, HR really did two major things for a line of business, which is they help you attract your talent and then they help you manage and uh, retain your talent. But I want to speak for a moment on uh, attracting talent. That's the first thing that you're doing when you're building a business and you're putting a team together, uh, if your business is growing, you're going to be a net adder of talent. Even in a stable business, you're going to have some very natural turnover. So you're always going to be looking to not only bring in new people, but constantly level up. Now, so often HR would run that process on behalf of you know, whoever was uh, going to do the hiring and, and for that particular business. But, they, you know, it always seemed like it ran like a support function. And, you know, at times I think there's a lot of frustration with HR people. They're sweet, they're nice, but they don't always nail exactly who it is that you're looking for, particularly around some of those intangible uh, characteristics that are so important. Sometimes they don't always get the urgency uh, or how everything fit together, uh, but they were always nice, but it wasn't quite at the level that I, and, and I think others expect it to be. As someone who has been in the talent business for most of your career, what is it that they're getting wrong in terms of how they're looking at the attraction of talent? You know, Jay, I think the biggest thing is that, as you, I think, very accurately pointed out, in most organizations, uh, the recruiting function is housed under human resources. And generally speaking, the folks, as you mentioned, that are, are dynamite in HR, they're great, they're lovely folks, but it is a support role. And in order for recruiting function really to operate at optimal levels, it needs to be treated much more as a production role. And I know that's counterintuitive the way most businesses run now, but there are some that obviously do to great success. But I think that's the big thing that they're missing 
is that it really needs to be treated as a production. And Hugh, when you talk about a production role, explain a little bit about what you mean. We're, it's, it's almost like a sales role where you're managing and setting up metrics and expectations for performance so that, you know, j- just like in a sales funnel, you need to start with a lot of people and whittle it down to uh, final closures. In this case, you're starting with a larger pool, and you you have to be responsible for self-generating that pool. If you're sitting there and actually waiting for folks to apply, and I, I always cringe when I hear HR folks use the word applicants, because if you're waiting on applicants, it becomes much more of a good fortune than a strategy. And we've talked offline about strategies. You know, it, it, It's one of those things that it just becomes really, really challenging, and, and you need to incentivize and manage your recruiters uh, to function in the production role so that they're getting both the quantity and quality of the folks their hiring line managers need to see to, to build their groups to, to their levels of success. So if, if I'm if I'm getting you, and I, I got to say, this is a very uh, different uh, point of view here. And, and I want to think for a moment about how this would look in sales, because I love that analogy. I mean, you wouldn't build a sales team who were getting paid a fixed amount of money, independent of their results. You wouldn't measure them on just the number of what I call inputs. Like, well, did, did you did you have enough conversations today? Um, did anybody ask you if they were interested? And focus on that as opposed to the outcomes, which is, you know, how many clients, how much revenue, what's our margins, how much repeat business, how much loyalty, those types of things. And you, you would never run, I, I think what you're saying, you would never run a sales team the way so many companies run their part of HR that's in charge of talent acquisition. Um, so are, are you really saying that you should have that same mindset as sales to set up your recruiting function? If not same, very, very similar. A lot of the moving parts are exactly the same, Jay. You know, I, I mean, you really do need to have that accountability. It can't be a nine to five mentality. It has to be a, I have to deliver mentality. And as such, it has to be managed that way. It has to be compensated that way. If there's no variable compensation piece in this, you're going to get the outcomes that you've always gotten. So one of the things that, you know, you hear a lot are executives and, and other experts who talk about how critical, you know, talent is, how the biggest asset of any business is their workforce, is the skill, expertise, and knowledge of their workers. And you're pointing out this massive disconnect that the people inside your company who are on point to bring that talent in aren't being managed in a constructive output-oriented way, just like you would do for sales. And isn't it the case that you are selling your company to your employees, who in many cases are the frontline people that are going to be dealing with your customers, the, the same way that a salesperson is selling the services and products of a company to customers. It, it's exactly that. And, and you know, even furthermore to that point, you, you hear every business magazine, every interview, you hear culture, 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 culture. Where do you think the culture comes from? You don't start it, your people create it. So unless you're recruiting and attracting the right group of people, and unless you're structuring your recruiting function to find those types of folks, they're going to see eye to eye with the direction you're looking to go. You're going to really, really struggle to establish that kind of culture. 
So, so how do you uh, basically construct this inside of your typical HR type organization or, or do you? I mean, how do you, how do, you do it? It, it? it can be done. I, I would recommend, I, I've heard organizations letting uh, the recruiting function itself be a standalone function. I've seen it sometimes housed under operations, and I think there's maybe a stronger argument for it to be there than under HR. But in, in any case, you need leadership that understands what we're measuring. What are we looking at? You know, what first interviews, how many, how many raw contacts are we making? What do these pipelines look like? It's just like managing a sales pipeline. You, you can't look at five openings and see four of them with zero people in it. And one guy that's halfway through, you, you've got people, all of their deliverables on their end as a business unit manager are tied up in full staff. So if their staff is not full, you're stressing the existing staff. You're, uh, you're going to come short on numbers. It just that those are natural things. And unfortunately, unless you're incentivizing your recruiters to produce in that kind of a capacity, they're going to get paid whether they deliver or not. And the organization suffers. It's unfortunate. So you're talking metrics. You're talking compensation. But I, I wonder if you're not, if there isn't also an implication for what types of people are going to be the right people to bring into that role. And how are they similar and different to the people that you would typically find in an HR department? Again, I think we're back at the distinction between production and support, you know, where, where you can be nice in a production role, but you can't not produce in a production role. And that really is what it comes down to is you've got to be able to hit numbers and, and drive qualified talent through the pipelines so that these folks are getting who they need to build their teams up. And Unless you have that, you're really going to struggle. And, you know, it's the same thing we've seen for years. So many different uh, examples out there. Fascinating. I mean, I, I love this perspective. It is such a different way of looking at it. It's such a different way than I think most um, are doing it. And yet it is incredibly compelling. So let, let's sort of go on to what I think is the next area to explore if you have a, an executive, whether it be the CEO, head of a business unit, and, and even to a degree, uh, their counterpart in HR that finds this as compelling as I do, tell me at, at that decision-maker level, what benefits can they expect? You need to look at what the harm is of not filling these spots, what the cost of vacancies are. If people are not, people not in spots, people not delivering on what those job responsibilities are. What is that causing for stress for the manager? What is that causing for output for the team? What is that causing for morale? Without putting any numbers on it, this is just conceptually where we're at. Then you can get into the actual numbers and say, my God, you know, we're, we're only at 75% or at 60% or even if we're at 90%, that 10% might be the money you make that year. You can't leave that on the table because you're not, you're not getting the right folks on the bus. Uh, you know, I, I absolutely agree. It, re it reminds me, you know, when I think about sports and you think about uh, everybody, you know, from uh, the owner and executives and, and head coach or manager and, and all the fans, what is the thing that they probably spend more time than anything else on? It is the team. And they have a lot of sleepless nights when you've got someone who's injured or can't perform or new, doesn't, doesn't know the playbook. Um, it, it's a massive stressor, uh, leads to a lot of sleepless nights compared to those who've really got it down where they're just crushing it out there um, and have that smile on their face because their talent is aligned with 
their objectives and what it is that they're trying to see. Now, I know that there aren't necessarily a lot of companies out there that have made this kind of change, but I know that uh, it has been done. You know, so Hugh, let me ask you, in terms of the business itself, what what do you see out there in terms of the harder benefits and how it can really move the needle uh, for a business to run your recruiting this way? Sure. I mean, we, we know of an organization locally here in Pennsylvania that uh, they're a non, uh, nonprofit healthcare organization that was struggling, like everyone is, for talent and kind of shifted that wholesale, but generally wholesale to this production model and just got a, I'll call bogey out there, a, a variable compensation number of maybe five grand for the recruiting team for, for the month, which is not a huge sum spread over X amount of recruiters. If those folks were hitting their numbers and you, and the company was paying out that five grand, that was allowing them to open up an additional service unit where the revenue was a hundred grand. So you can see, I mean, the numbers are staggering what that little bit of extra expense is going to yield an extra revenue. And it, you can do the math in your own head of what this is going to cost. It's also much, again, it's so much better for morale and for retention to have good, happy, employed people working for you every day rather than stress people working short-staffed, working extra hours and, and really you know, driving themselves crazy, but driving their managers crazy also because there's not enough talent around them to do what they need to do to work. And you're also getting this organizational alignment between the people that are running the business and the people that are responsible for bringing in the talent for the business. Now you've got a real team as opposed to this, you know, butting heads and finger pointing that so often occurs. No question. I mean, you look, you had made a sports analogy earlier. Look at some of these, uh, this variable compensation as they do with sports contracts, if they're performance-based. If if they don't perform at those levels, you're not paying them any extra. And if they do, it's the best check you write every month. Sign up, if you, you can get me 35 home runs and 120 RBIs, what's the check worth? Just, I'll, I'll give you a blank book, make it out, because I, I need that kind of talent on my team. That's what we're talking about here, is that if that person you sign and their base salary is whatever it is, and, and, and they hit 18 home runs and, and drive in 60, you're not paying them any extra, and nor should you. But the superstar should earn a couple extra bucks, and, and good for them. Hugh, you, you, you've made, I think, this very compelling argument, not just for how to change your thinking, but how that flows through and, and makes a real difference both to the decision maker and the business as a whole. So if I'm a CEO of a company or I'm running a major business unit, what are the steps that I need to do to implement a program like this? First, recognize it, then commit to it. You know, you, you really do, and those are not small steps to skip over because this is a wholesale change of thinking. This is that whole, that's not the way we do it. This isn't the way most people do. So, I mean, you're going to have to recognize the, uh, for lack of a while, we're on the baseball cliches, the money ball way of thinking. You know, we're, we're, we're looking at things outside the box and, and trying to get creative with how we're doing what we're doing. But once you have that, you, you need leadership in place, too. And unfortunately, because it is a support function, the most talented of talented human resource fo folks are not production-oriented recruiting managers. They're just not. That's, that's not their role. That's not their background. So you need to find someone with that kind of a background that can assemble and manage a team and motivate them and, and, and hold their feet to the fire and make sure they're performing at the levels you're setting out for them. This is a real, uh, I think, game changer uh, in terms of totally rethinking the talent acquisition side of your business. This absolutely can move the needle for any business where talent 
is critical. And I'm hard pressed to think of a business where that wouldn't be the case. So with that to cogitate over, we are going to take a quick break and come right back to learn a bit more about Hugh and what his business is all about. Are you wondering how much longer you have to grind and chase for every lead conversation and client? Would you like clients to knock on your door so you no longer have to pitch, follow up, and spam decision makers? Well, Centricity's Category 1 program uses a proven five-step process that will help you get in front of the decision makers you need by spending less time doing all the things you hate. It's not cold calling, cold email, cold outreach on LinkedIn or any other social media or even spending money on ads, but it does have a 35 times higher ROI than any of those things, leveraging your expertise and insights at your prospects and network value. The best part, even though you'll see results in 90 days, you get to work with the Centricity team for an entire year to make sure you have all the pieces in place and working so you can start having freedom of time and a life outside of your business. So email time at centricityb2b.com to schedule an 18-minute call to learn more. Welcome back. Let's find out a little bit more about Hugh. Hugh, let me start by asking you, what are the pain points that you and your company solve for your clients? And why is it that they need you to get rid of that pain? You know, the, ta- the pain points we solve are we, we can help deliver the talent you're not finding on your own is really what it comes down to. And we have a consultancy practice, which we can help train your staff on how to do what we do. So between those two areas, every organization we've worked with either directly in training their staff or directly with helping attract staff for them has benefited from that relationship with us. Doing this for 25 plus years, incredibly well networked. This is not an ego thing, but it's just the fortunate thing about being 54 is you get old and uh, you know a whole lot of people and uh, you get to a certain age where you can play that to your advantage. And, that, and that's really worked out pretty well for us. And, and most importantly for our clients, you know, that's really what they're buying with us is a, uh, is a, a contact base. And so on that uh, consulting side, just to be clear for our listeners, you actually could help any company out there implement this concept of how do you take your internal talent acquisition side and set it up as a production function rather than a support function. Is that fair? No, it's, it's absolutely true. That's, that's where a lot of this content that we've spoken about has come from, has been the work we've done with other clients. Right. So yeah, we've, we've done things as short as a half day seminar to a year plus on site, a couple of days a week type deal. So I mean, it's and anything in between. And that's a great segue into my next question where I want to understand what is it that makes you and your team, you know, great at what you do? Because I always like to remind people, nobody hires someone because of what they do, uh, because if that were the case, we'd all be settling for what's mediocre and average. We all want to work with the best, given constraints of our budget. But that aside, we want to work with the very best. So, Hugh, what makes you the very best? Again, I've been doing this 25 years plus. I've placed people in every state in America. You know, a couple of placements in Canada. I don't know how many Canadian listeners we have, but, uh, you know, it's something that track record is what it is. And at some point you are buying a track record and you're buying experience and you're buying networks. And in all of those areas, we're awfully good. You know, I'm not so egocentric to say we're the best, but we're, we're up there. We're, we're, we've really been able to, and I'm really proud of our 
record of delivering for our clients. So we've uh, built relationships with over the years. Now you, you've talked about your 25 years of experience. I encourage everybody to go on to LinkedIn and <clears throat> look you up, uh, connect with you there, and they'll, you'll get to see some of the details of what Hugh has done in his career. But my question to you, Hugh, is what has happened, you know, in your personal life or your professional life that would answer what for me is the more interesting question of not what you've done, that is what LinkedIn is good for, but why are, why are you doing what it is that you do? You know what I think, and, and I mention this with every one of the on-site training things we've done and with every person that I've trained both in my own company and prior companies is that in our world, when everything's working the right way, it's the best job I've ever seen. Our client gets a terrific new hire. The candidate gets a terrific new opportunity and we get paid. And between those three things, we get paid fairly well. I'm not going to lie about it. You know, we're, uh, but, but those three things where you're well compensated, you want to be well compensated for a job well done. And, and, you know, there's nothing more rewarding than people picking up the phone and saying, Hey, you got me a job 15 years ago. You changed my life. You put me on a different trajectory and talking to people that have said, you helped us do X, Y, Z. Can you do it again? Man, that's just so dynamite to hear. And I'm trying to tamp down my ego, but that's, you're asking an egocentric question. This is where it comes from though. It is from having those experiences and having those successes over and over and over and seeing the impact you make both in people's lives and in organizations' lives. We we talk about uh, the, the first part of, of every show. We internally use the praise, you know, your provocative perspective, because we like our guests to challenge the thinking of all the people that are running businesses that uh, listen to the show. And uh, today you certainly provoked us and challenged us to rethink what is a what is such a critical function for any business, which is the acquisition of talent. Um, and I'm sure that we've got a lot of listeners, Hugh, that are going to want to reach out and continue this discussion with you. What's the best way for them to contact you? Uh, emails, Hugh at GallagherGroup.us. I have no problem calling me directly on my cell, 610-246-7400. Those are the best two ways to get me. All right. And and to make it easy for everybody, uh, check the show notes and uh, you'll find that information there. Now, Hugh, before we go, uh, some of our guests privately, and they think that I don't hear this, they call me the arm twister because very few of them get out of the show without getting their arm twisted to give a little bit of a gift for our listeners. So I'm going to virtually reach over, twist your arm until you say, Uncle Hugh, what, what can you offer our listeners for sticking with you? I'm more than happy uh, to, to offer a, a 25% discount off of our standard fees for any work we're doing. All right, guys, that is huge, huge. So I want everyone reach out to Hugh, engage with him, uh, particularly around this concept of talent acquisition as a production function. And if it makes sense uh, to move forward, tell Hugh, hey, I heard you on the Best Kept Secret show. I want my discount. I love it. Hugh, I want to thank you for being such a thought-provoking uh, guest on the show today. Thank you. Thank you to our listeners and audience. Let's continue to crush it out there. Until next time.